Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Pastor Alex, and we are in week number three of our series, To My Friend Who Left the Faith. Now, before we jump into that, Missy, come on back up here. Bum, bum, bum. How many of you guys appreciate Missy and the role she plays on Sundays? You may or may not know this, but I got a thing for Missy. And about 13 years ago, we exchanged wedding vows right here in this room. And life has changed a little bit. Like, you're a little taller now than when we first met. I think it's these platform shoes. Yeah. I, I, that's why my Amazon suggested purchases are all screwed up now. I'm like, what is this? I don't need another pair of Converse. Oh, it's the wife. But no, our, our, our relationship has changed quite a bit in 13 years. When we first got married, it was just the two of us, and it was so good. And then we, we moved houses, and we've grown, and, and through it all, she's been by my side. But now we have little people who live in our house with us. <laughs> Uh, we have a second grader, we have a kindergartner, and we have a two-year-old, and our two-year-old embodies what two-year-olds should embody. He does not listen, he has a heart of his own, but he is good, and we are working on the potty training, because once he's out of diapers, there's more money for us. It's so good. So anyway, I want to share a story about our kindergartner, and uh, some of you don't know him, his name is Miles, and so I had sent Missy a text, and I said, Missy, I need you to send me some pictures that embody Miles. Like, what is his personality? Do you have any pictures that incorporate that? And so she texted me some pictures, and so if you don't know Miles, he's five years old, he's got some wild hair and a fun personality, and these are the pictures that Missy sent me. Let's take a look at him. This is our five-year-old. And so uh, the far left, this is um, our boy. Uh, We've been working on him raising one eyebrow like the rock. And so he can do it, but he can't do it with his chin up. So it comes down a little bit. Uh, The middle, where are we at? Is that... Having ice cream somewhere. Okay, so we're having, I don't know, Dairy Queen maybe somewhere, but he enjoys making everybody else laugh. He's just a bundle of fun. You can see he's right in the middle of saying and doing something. And then over there, that's him in his PJs, his sleep pizza repeat uh, shirt with some Pringles, just having a good old time. And so these are our boys, but I want you to know me and Missy are so proud to be able to pastor here and be a part of what's going on and be able to encourage you guys. So give it up one more time for Missy. Now, here's the deal. I bring up Miles because Miles this week had a question for me. He had this burning question. I didn't know what it was, but he stopped me before he left for school, and he said, Dad, I've got this question for you. Now, before I tell you what the question is, here's the backstory. I felt it's important for my children to know who superheroes are. Um, Some of you may not care about superheroes, but for me, I was like, I want them to know who the superheroes are of our world. And so uh, I didn't go with people who you might think are real superheroes. No, we went with cartoon. We went with, you know, Marvel. We went with the cartoons, you know, uh, the, the good superheroes. And so I felt like there was a place, and some of you are like, Pastor Alex, you're just weird. But I wanted to kind of graduate them through superheroes. I think some superheroes are better fit for different ages, right? So I'm like, all right, you know, we're going to hold off on that superhero until you're a little older. And so I wanted them to start with the superhero who was my favorite when I was a boy. So if you were to walk into Alex's bedroom at five years of age, you would have seen on my bed, Batman. 
I had the Batman pillow. It was Batman on one side and you turned it over. It was Joker. So you could have like your own mood ball, like with your parents. Like, oh, I'm angry. I'm Joker today. Um, I, had, I had that. I had the mask that had the little ears on it, you know, that you'd strap to your head and it would cut through your eyes. I had that. I had the yellow utility belt that had the removable flashlight in the middle that had the bat signal on it. If you got it close enough, to the, you, it was awesome. It was awesome. I had all of the accessories. I was totally into Batman. I had the black cape. I had the whole thing. So I thought, with my kids, we're going to start with Batman as the first superhero. Now, I didn't introduce them to Christian Bale Batman because that's, you know, that's a, that's a level mature than what they are. So we're not starting there. I didn't even start with these. Um, uh, they're like abomination Batmans. Have you guys seen that Ben Affleck turned into Batman? What happened? And who's this other guy, the vampire guy, uh, Robert Patterson? No. What are we doing? I didn't even go, I didn't even go with like good Batmans, like Michael Keaton. I didn't go Val Kilmer. I didn't go George Clooney. I went 1960s Batman. I went all the way back. We got Adam West. You know what I'm talking about? He had the best sidekick ever and little Robin, you know, holy birthday cake, Batman. He had all the lines. It was so fun. So, so I bought all of the original 1960s Batmans on DVD. So now my kids can ask them on request. We don't have to wonder if they're streaming. We can just watch them. Uh, I also bought something that was my favorite as a kid, not a superhero, but I bought all of the MacGyver series because I loved MacGyver growing up. And some of you are like, MacGyver? I'm not talking about the reboot. I'm talking about 1980s MacGyver, Richard Dean Anderson. And some of you are like haters and you're like, MacGruber? No, not MacGruber. We're talking about MacGyver. And so I'm trying to introduce my kids to these superheroes, you know, a little bit at a time, trying to expose them properly. I'm doing the same thing in video games. I made them start on the Sega Genesis and the Super Nintendo. I didn't let them know Nintendo Switches existed in the world. We've been graduating through. Uh, so we've been having a lot of fun. But, but recently, I introduced Spider-Man. And so, you know, it's a soft introduction. We just wanted to let them know that Spider-Man exists in the world. And so just as I taught them Bruce Wayne is Batman, I taught them that Spider-Man is, anybody know? Peter Parker. So, Miles, we're getting ready for school. And he comes up to me and he says, Dad, I have a question. And I was like, this is awesome. I'm a father and I'm going to input wisdom and knowledge into this little soul. He's, he's opened the door for me with a question. This is, this is so good. God, thank you for this opportunity. And so, he looks at me right in the eyes. And with all sincerity and honesty, he says, how can I know if I'm Peter Parker? <laughs> and he just paused and looked at me. And inside of me, I'm like, like you, I'm laughing. I'm like, what in the world is his mind talking about? Like, we're getting ready for school, and this is what he's thinking about. And so I kind of laughed, and I said, well, buddy, you can know if you're Peter Parker if you get bit by a spider and you can start climbing on the walls. And I laughed, and apparently my answer was enough to appease his little curious mind. And uh, he just got his lunch ready, put it in his backpack, and went off to school. And we haven't revisited the conversation since. But as I've reflected back on how can I know if I'm Peter Parker, as I've reflected back not only on his question, I've been more reflective on my response to his question and how I responded to him in that moment. And, and what I want to talk about today is that the response that I had to his question in so many ways is like the response that I had Oftentimes, when I was growing up, when I had questions about faith, 
when I had doubts, when I had things that were maybe bothering me a little bit about what we believe as Christians, and I would ask maybe those who are my parents or those who are church leaders or those who are others, and, and oftentimes the response that I got from the authorities, those who had the answer, was similar to the answer that I gave to Miles. And I think that there's a little bit of a problem there. And I want to talk about that a little bit because we're talking about to my friend who left the faith. And see, I don't think that people are walking away from church without questions. In fact, I don't think they're walking away from church without unanswered questions. And so when we have questions and we have doubts and we bring those to people who should have the answer, I think that the response that is given to them is really important. And I want to share with you where I think the church, to a degree, has fallen short when we try to answer questions of faith, just like I failed to answer some questions that my little boy had. Are you ready? So number one, here's what I think. I think number one, we fall short when we don't take their questions seriously. We fall short when we don't take their questions seriously. See, with Miles, I, I didn't take his question seriously. Um, I found it to be humorous. Like, this is funny. Like, look at this little five-year-old goal. Uh, go. and, and so I, I responded in humor to what may have been a, a very genuine question of his, um, because it's possible if he truly wondered if he was Peter Parker, but I never gave that any time in my head to even process. And if I had, if I would have paused and thought about it, I might have remembered that I had been telling him to stop scratching at a bug bite that he had on his chest. And it didn't look like a regular bug bite. It didn't look like a mosquito bug bite. And I'm probably confident that I probably say, hey, you probably got bit by a spider. Now, in the moment of his question, I didn't think about that. But it's possible that his little mind is saying, you know what? I wonder if I am Peter Parker because I've been bitten by a spider. But there was no investigation of that because I didn't take his question seriously. And I think that it's not uncommon. We've all heard about the stories about little boys who watch Superman for the first time who then go find a red towel tied around their neck and jump off of something tall. And it's sad that there's been children who have died actually doing that, believing that they were something that they weren't. And in fact, just about seven years ago, um, Marvel Studios was sued because a little boy thought he was Spider-Man and jumped out the apartment window thinking that he would stick to the wall. And he did not. And so here we are in this moment in which I'm just thinking the question is humorous, but I don't really know if this was a serious, genuine question. And while I don't believe that my son Miles is going to jump out the window, but if he does... I do have to say I didn't take his question seriously. And in the same way, I believe that there are people who may have genuine questions about God, about faith, about the Bible, about Christianity, about how all of this stuff works, and the people that they're seeking answers from aren't taking their questions seriously. And what's happening is those that are being approached with this question are forfeiting their opportunity to speak into that person's life whether they're laughing it off or whether they're just dismissing it as silly, there's a place that I think those who have questions about faith, when they bring those up, we have a responsibility to take their questions seriously. Now, here's the truth. Every one of us, look at the person next to you. Look at the other person, your second option, the person that you didn't love the first time. Okay, that person, those people, they have questions, theological questions. 
And, and if they don't have theological questions, then they falsely believe that they have it all together. Okay? None of us in this space have all the answers. None of us are what the Bible will call fully mature. We've not come to figure it all out. So we naturally all should have some questions about our understanding of God. But the problem is, is that some of you are afraid to ask your questions because you think that, you know, others might think less of you if you don't have it all figured out. Or, or maybe you're just intimidated by other Christians or, or people who've been Christians longer than you. Maybe you're like, that person's grown up in church and I just started coming. I can't, can pay, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be that person. And I think that sometimes when, when you allow your pride or your fear to hinder you from asking questions, you kind of stunt your own growth. See, sometimes people begin to doubt their faith, and when they begin to doubt their faith, they can sometimes even go so far as to think that they're unwelcome in church. I'm not sure I believe what they believe, so maybe I shouldn't be here. And and listen, this is what I want you to know, is that I want this church, New Life Community Church, whether you've been here for the first time today or been here for a long time, I want this to be a space that people can bring their doubts, you can bring your questions, and that we can wrestle together with them not looking down upon anybody, but together in the context of community, deal with doubts and questions. You may not have thought about this before, but, but questions and doubts can actually grow your faith. Don't let that pass you by. Questions and doubts can actually help you grow your faith. But they can also kill your faith if you don't ask the questions, if you don't bring them out. We can't let these questions and doubts stay on the inside. They'll eat away at our soul. But when we bring them out, there's an opportunity for us together in community to come into a knowledge of the truth. So if you know someone and they ask you a question about God, faith, Christianity, how it all works, I want to encourage you to take their question seriously. Even if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know. But we need to respect people enough to take their questions seriously. Number two, not only did I fail to take Miles' question seriously, but we fall short when we seek to quickly pacify their curiosity. Pacify their curiosity. I always have to be careful if I begin to talk about parenting. Uh, Everybody kind of parents a little different. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But here we go. There are some parents who absolutely love baby pacifiers. It's their favorite tool in the bag. Like the pacifier is where it's at. They have the baby's favorite pacifier. Then they have the backup pacifier in case something happens to that one. Then they have the clip-on pacifier. And then they have your kid's pacifier. They have so many pacifiers. I've even seen parents who are like, I don't know where the pacifier is. Take their dirty knuckle and stick it in their kid's mouth as a pacifier. Some of you are like, what? We're not here to judge. But here's the question, why, why do parents love pacifiers so much? I'll tell you, it's because they don't want to hear their baby cry. I don't want to hear them cry. Give them a pacifier. Shh, be quiet. I think that sometimes 
parents grab a pacifier to stop their child from crying when maybe, just maybe, the baby has a legitimate reason to cry. Maybe they have a dirty diaper. But instead of checking the dirty diaper, doing the work of that, here's a pacifier. Calm down. Maybe the baby's hungry. I don't know if you're hungry or not. Just here's a pacifier. Maybe the baby's in pain. There's something that's causing them a problem. And the only way they know how to communicate is to cry, but we just quickly pop in the pacifier in their mouth. I wonder if in the same way, when people have complex and philosophical questions about biblical interpretation, theology, and application, that those they are seeking answers from sometimes don't want to do the work of wrestling down with the root causes of the question, but instead they just want to pacify their curiosity. They want to give them enough for them to move on and to be okay. Like, stop with the questions. Here, here's a quick answer. Thank you. Shh. This is what I did with Miles. First, I didn't take him seriously, but second, I'll be honest, I wasn't interested in having a conversation about Peter Parker at 8 a.m. I really didn't care. Um, so his question wasn't one that intrigued me, so my response that I was given to him was one just to pacify his curiosity so that he could move on to things that maybe I found more valuable, like putting your lunch in your backpack and getting ready for school. See, in the church world, sometimes questions, I think, are being asked and are being processed, but because they don't maybe interest us and because we're not curious about them, we just kind of want to move on and give people kind of a short prepackaged answer, which doesn't really satisfy the complex and difficult questions that are being asked. See, I believe it's possible that now, more than any other point in our church history, that people have questions and they actually want to go deep into what they actually believe. And the reason I say that is that we live in a time in which we have more exposure to perspectives and opinions than we ever have before. Uh, for, for most people, you know, you think back through history, most people used to live and die within one religious system. They didn't have uh, a lot of alternative claims to truth. But in our multimedia, internet-saturated, social media world, we're hearing more and more perspectives of people. It's more common for you to know someone now who has a different belief system than you than, say, 100 years ago. And so for the first time kind of in our uh, experience as, as Christ believers, as Christians, we're exposed to a multitude of voices, perspectives, and experiences and I think that it's important for us, as we are investigating what we believe, to engage in the conversation and to engage the question, even when it doesn't necessarily excite us. Pastor Gregory Boyd, in his book, The Benefit of Doubt, says this, it's much easier to remain certain of your beliefs when you're not in personal contact with people who believe differently. But when you encounter people with different beliefs, and when those people's sincerity and devotion possibly put yours to shame, things become quite a bit more difficult. It's important, I believe, for us to engage in the conversation and not just try to move on and pacify people with cute sayings that don't satisfy which leads us to point number three where I kind of fell short with my boy, is that we fall short when we assume to understand their question. We assume to understand their question. When Miles asked me, how can I know if I'm Peter Parker? 
And I answered, you can know if you're Peter Parker if you've been bit by a spider and can climb on the walls. Well, I didn't take his question seriously. I tried to pass by him because I didn't want to spend time engaging in that conversation. But ultimately, I answered a question that he didn't ask. Because, see, I assumed to know what he really was asking. See, if you've been bit by a spider and climb on walls and shoot web out of your wrist, that makes you Spider-Man, not Peter Parker. Peter Parker's parents died in a plane crash. Peter Parker lives with his Aunt May and Uncle Ben. Peter Parker has a crush on Mary Jane Watson. Peter Parker existed before Spider-Man, but I assumed what Miles really was asking is, how can I know if I'm Spider-Man? And so I answered a question he wasn't really even asking. I think the same thing happens. And I've been approached by people with questions, and sometimes I've assumed, I've, I've guessed what they really are asking, not really listening to their question. And I didn't spend time and energy to investigate what they're really asking. So I just ended up wasting their time and my time because I didn't clarify the question and answering something they really weren't talking about. And at the end of that, I've answered a question they weren't asking, and the question they were asking remains unanswered. I should have spent a moment clarifying the question so that we together could have spent time investigating the real answer to the real question. So we're going to hit pause, and I'm going to ask for some audience participation. Are you ready? We'll keep it simple. These are yes or no questions. If you're the person that yells something different than everybody else, you're probably wrong. Okay. Hate to tell you, I know peer pressure you shouldn't give in, but just that'll be the time. I won't call you out, all right? Is it okay to ask questions? Okay, I love how there was a moment of pausing there. And you're like, ah, yes. <laughs> all right, I'm going to ask it another way, all right? Don't let me throw you for a loop. Is it wrong to ask questions? Okay, look at you guys are doing so good, all right? When... Someone asks you a question, is your response important? Even if you don't know the answer? Okay, that's so good. You're so with me. I don't know why it is, but for some people, they can start to believe. Like, you come to a church setting, and you're around other people of faith, and like, hey, we're all in this. We're all singing the songs. Um, It's easy to start to think that if I have faith, then I'll have no doubts And I'll have an answer to all of life's questions, the problems I experience, and the issues of this world. There's a place, and we don't say it because we would say, well, no, that's not me. But there's a place that sometimes we feel like if I have faith, there's no room for doubt in my life. But Paul Tillich is a theologian, and here's what he says. He says that the affirmation that Jesus is the Christ is an act of faith. You guys would agree with that, right? Like, Jesus is Christ, that's an act of faith. We're believing in something that we can't see. We're, we're declaring something to be true. And, and consequently, he says, that's of daring courage. It is not an arbitrary leap into darkness, but a decision in which elements of immediate participation and therefore certitude are mixed with elements of strangeness and therefore incertitude and doubt. And, and this last line is the one I want us to pay attention to. But doubt is not the opposite of faith. It is an element of faith. See, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith would be certitude, belief with no doubt. 
So, so if you've ever found yourself that you're maybe not so certain about what you believe about a certain topic, I want you to know that you're not alone, and that's okay. That doubt's actually a part of faith. See, the Bible is full of people who didn't have certainty, that actually had some doubts. In just Matthew, we read in Matthew 11 about John the Baptist, who was kind of this guy who was going before Jesus and proclaiming that Jesus was coming, that the Messiah would be here, but he ends up in prison. He ends up arrested. Life circumstances not so good. And he begins to wonder, I wonder if Jesus really is the coming Messiah. He asks his buddies, he's like, hey, can you like double check this? Can you make sure, like, I want to, like, is he really? Is he really? And that's a question that we all have, right? Like, there's a doubt. Like, is this really true? John the Baptist had it. Uh, in Matthew 14, three chapters later, Peter is walking on water, which is wild, bonkers. And then he begins to not walk on water. And what's Jesus say to him? Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? In Mark chapter 9, we find this interesting story in which there's this father who had approached Jesus' disciples in order to cast a demon out of his son which I feel like that's what every parent of a teenager wants. They want someone to come and cast that demon out of that kid, right? I mean, I think really they just want them to cast the hormones out of the kid, but, but that doesn't work. And so anyway, we have these disciples who have been approached by this dad who's really concerned about the welfare of his child. And uh, the disciples are like, yeah, we'll help you. And so they try to do whatever they're going to do to get this demon out of the kid, and it doesn't work. And so then it's funny if you really read the Bible, because the disciples then start to argue. Like, well, why didn't this work? What's the matter? Was it your fault? Did you say it right? Did you do it? So, like, all of a sudden, there's this argument taking place. All the while, dad is still standing there. They're arguing in front of the dad. And the kid, I'm sure, who's got the demon, is still around. Like, and they're having this argument, and Jesus rolls up and is like, what are you guys talking about? And so we'll look at the story. This is Mark chapter 9, verse 16. Jesus said, what is all of this arguing about? And one of the men of the crowd spoke up. It was the dad. And he said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy. But the evil spirit saw Jesus. It threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. Now, sometimes when I read Bible stories, because I've grown up in church, it's just a Bible story. But can you imagine if that was your kid? I mean, I showed you pictures of my kids. They ain't doing that. I mean, my two-year-old may embody a two-year-old. He ain't doing that. Can you imagine the daily struggle? Can you imagine the wear and tear that that would have emotionally on that family? Can you imagine the uncertainty and the question, and can I go to sleep, and what's going to happen to my boy, and he's going to be all right? And you know that you would be looking for an answer. When you heard about Jesus, you heard about a miracle worker, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, we are taking the boy to see that guy. And you don't get to him, you get to his disciples, and then they fail. So now, do you think your faith would be shaken a little bit? Like, even Jesus' disciples couldn't do this. But now Jesus is here. Here it is. Kid sees him, and now, whoa, what's going on? So I love this. Jesus is like, he's like a doctor. Uh, 
how long has this been happening? Like the kid is like rolling around doing his thing. Hmm, dad, how long has this been happening? Let me jot that down. Okay, thank you. (laughs) The father says, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into the fire or into water trying to kill him. Wow. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. He was doing good till those last few words, if you can. So Jesus says, what do you mean, if I can? Don't you know who you're talking to? (laughs) Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, and this is what I want us to look at. I do believe, uh, but help. Me overcome my unbelief. What a mixed saying. I believe, uh, but help me with my unbelief. All right, well, which, which is it, buddy? Do you believe or do you not believe? The confession is good. I believe. It's a confession we all should make, like the act of faith. I believe. But at the same time that I'm having faith and belief, I'm also, I got some questions. I got some doubts. I'm not so sure about everything. I believe, but I also have some unbelief. I I like how the contemporary English version interprets this verse. It says that at once the boy's father shouted, I do have faith. Please help me to have even more. It's not that I don't have faith. I have faith, but but there's, there's more faith that's available to me. Please help me to have more faith. And and here's what I want to say is that this saying, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief, is a good place for you and I to live. That's a very healthy place for us to be. I'm confessing I do believe, but I'm also confessing I don't understand it all. What I do believe, I believe, and I can't really answer all your questions, and I know you can poke holes through it, and I'm not so sure, but I do believe. God, I believe in you. How long you've existed and when you waited to, how long you waited to create the world and how you created the world and how speaking things into existence works and how you breathing breath in the nostrils of Adam. I don't know how all of that works, but I believe. Help me with my unbelief. What's good news in our story with the boy is that Jesus does go on to heal the boy, which means that I think that Jesus works with the faith that you have, not the faith you don't have. And that's pretty cool. Apparently, this man believed enough for the healing. I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. I've heard it said that Jesus was asked, 187 questions in the Bible. Of 187 questions asked, how many questions do you think Jesus answered? Two. What does that mean for you and me? I'll tell you what it means. It means Jesus isn't shook up by your questions. 
And Jesus doesn't see them as a huge problem that he needs to flip out about and run over and be like, oh no, they're not believing right. They're not got the right faith. I'd better fix their doubt. I'd better stop their questions. I'd better end this. No, just two times out of 187 questions presented did he come to the rescue. Did he answer their questions? Hmm. It reminds me of Thomas, who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples who kind of followed him. Sometimes we refer to him as, which is just unfair. Like, they all didn't believe that Jesus rose from the grave. Like, let's be honest. He just happened to not be there when Jesus showed up. Here's how the story went. This is in John chapter 20. Jesus is going to appear before his disciples in a locked room, which that would, you know, freak you out, wouldn't it? Like if you're sitting at home today watching the Chiefs and Jaguars game and then all of a sudden like Jesus is standing there, yeah, it wigged me out too. So here's what happens. Verse 24, it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, he must have had a twin brother, uh, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him what they saw. We have seen the Lord. But he said, well, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Which is kind of weird and gross. Like, you know, what are you trying to do? Like, but here's what I want you to notice is verse 26. A week later, how long did Thomas walk around not believing how long did he walk around with his doubt? A week. Where was Jesus? He could have showed up any time. He could have just popped in and popped out. Did he? A week later. It's interesting. Jesus just lets him sit in the unknown, in the doubt, in the question. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you, which is a good greeting because it would freak them all out. Hey, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Hey, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put your hand on my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Would you entertain this thought? What if one of the most sacred spaces in your journey with Christ is when you find yourself where you don't have answers and don't know what to do. What if that's one of the most sacred spaces that we have in this journey of walking with him? Not when we're in the moment of confidence and I know all the answers. What if it's found actually in this place that I don't really know? I've got a little bit of question. What if that's one of the most sacred spaces that you have in this journey with him? I believe, but help my unbelief. So to my friend who left the faith, I'm sure that you had questions before you left. And on behalf of the church and whatever church you were a part of, I'm sorry that your questions weren't taken seriously. I'm sorry that maybe your question, we just tried to pacify it and talk you out of your curiosity and I'm sorry that possibly we assumed to know the whole story. But I would like to invite you, if you've left the faith, 
to bring your questions and doubts and give the church a second chance of wrestling them alongside of you. And for all of us in the room who have some doubts, have some questions, maybe you've not verbalized them, maybe you haven't felt comfortable bringing them up, but they're there on some level, I want to just give you three quick things you can do to deal with doubt. Are you ready? Number one, don't miss a meeting. That was Thomas's problem. If he would have been there, he wouldn't have had the doubt. He would have seen him. So I want to encourage you, don't miss a meeting. Be in church when the doors are open. Gather together with other people who have faith. When you're low on faith, other people's faith will help encourage you, uplift you, keep you moving in the right direction. And here's what I believe. I believe that isolation feeds doubt. And you get by yourself when others aren't around, it's not good for your soul. But when you stay close to a community of believers, it will help protect your mind and your heart as you deal with doubt. How do you ask questions without leaving the faith? You do it in the context of community. Number two thing that you can do to deal with doubt is you can learn God's ways. See, we believe that the Bible is God's primary method of self-revelation, and so if we want to know what God wants us to know about himself, it's going to be found in God's word. But there's a place that we have to work, we have to read, we have to study, we have to not just maybe always take whoever's opinion we're talking to, but we need to do some investigative work, and not just individually in isolation, but together with others. We need to study God's word, because when we don't know God's ways, we're ignorant, and ignorance feeds doubt. See, there may be a very clear answer to the question you're asking, but because you don't know God's word, you don't know your answer. So we need to, number one, don't miss a meeting. Number two, we need to learn God's ways. And number three, we need to remember what God has done in our life. Because forgetfulness feeds doubt. When I remember what God did, and that's fresh in my mind, I believe God can do anything. But when I begin to forget how God's shown up in my life, when I forget what God's delivered me from, when I forget the story of what God's done, then I'm filled with, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if he can show up. I don't know. Much of our doubt is fed when we are questioning things we don't have. I think about um, friends that are my age, they're maybe in their 30s, their 40s. Um, I got one friend, he's in his 50s, and they've never been married. And part of them has this question of, God, I've been so faithful to you. Why haven't you brought me a spouse? Why haven't you brought me somebody to go through life with? And when they begin to focus on what God has not done, it fuels their doubt. Instead, what I would encourage them to do is instead of looking at what God hasn't done for you, how about we look at what God has done for you? And that will fuel your faith. If you want to believe that God is for you and that he loves you and cares about you, remember what he's already done. Don't be looking for what he hasn't done yet. What are we focused on? One feeds doubt, one feeds faith. I want to feed my faith. And an example of this is David and Goliath, the old story. He had the little guy, he had the sling, he's going to go take on Goliath. And as he's approaching this giant in his life, he remembers how God was with him when he defeated a lion, when he defeated a bear, 
And that fueled his faith that he could take on this giant too. He wasn't thinking about what he didn't have from God. He was thinking about what God has done. And he had the faith to move forward. Sometimes we need to feed our own faith by shifting our focus. So today, as we wrap up, week number three, and to my friend who left the faith, questions and doubts aren't the enemy. In fact, they can help fuel your faith. But you have to be willing to ask the question, and the community that you ask them needs to be ready to respond, to take your question seriously, to not try to pacify you and silence you because it's shaking their foundations. And they need to also be willing to hear really what the heart of your question is. And I think that inside of that, there's a place that great freedom and truth can be found. And I believe that Jesus isn't shook by our questions. In fact, I think he welcomes them because he would like to meet with us right where we are. If you guys would, let's take a moment and we will pray together. Jesus, I thank you for this morning and the opportunity we had to talk in this space about questions and doubts. And Lord, you know every person in this room. God, you know their birth date. You know their name. You know their history. You know their story. You know where they were this last week. You know where they were five years ago. God, you know everything there is to know about them. And God, you also know the questions that they have and the doubts that they have. You know how much faith they have and how much faith they don't have. And so, Lord, I just ask that today that you would do a work in their heart to where they would have the confidence to step out and to declare, I believe, but help my unbelief. And God, I believe that you are willing to meet us in that spot just as you did the father who had this child who had so many issues. Lord, you were able to show up and you met him with the faith he had. Today, Lord, would you meet each person in this space with the faith they have? And Lord, for those who maybe have not stepped over the line of faith and declared that they believe, may today be the day of their salvation. The day they go from running life on their own to the day they say, you know what? I believe that God is who he says he is and I'm gonna allow him to be in charge of my life. God, there's nothing greater that we could do than to pursue you and the plans you have for us. So God, I pray for each person here who hears my voice, whether in the room or online or hearing a recording of this, Lord, you are present and you love them. Would you help them to move forward towards you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.